BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The most valuable thing about healthcare isn't the medicine or the technology. It's the people. The healthcare industry brings together brilliant, highly motivated experts. If you'd like to learn more about today's most unique game changers, then check out the Heart of Healthcare podcast right here on the Oscar Health Podcast Network. Join host Holly Teko, founder of Natalist and Rock Health, as she talks with the industry's most exciting experts. Check out the 23andMe episode, where 23andMe founder Anne Wojcicki shares the highs and lows of this journey, including getting an FDA warning letter, going public, and genotyping over 12 million customers. In an episode called The Crooked Truth About D2C Dentistry Startups, orthodontist and entrepreneur Dr. Ingrid Mora explains the state of venture-backed dentistry. The number of online companies offering mail-order invisible aligners is booming, but Dr. Mora says some are ruining people's teeth and harming their overall health. For more information, visit offscript.com slash shows. That's offscript, no T, dot com slash shows. The link will be in our show notes. Enjoy the show. Everybody, I'm Joey Brenneman from Offscript Health. Welcome to the tangential conversation companion to Offscript Health's Before We Die podcast. We fondly named these mini episodes Lab Before Slab. And these are the sometimes random, often fascinating, and always a little bit quirky conversations that happen around our production table. We couldn't quite fit them into our regular episodes, but we had a feeling that there are listeners out there who might enjoy them. So here are the Before We Die creators, Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman to geek out about the latest happenings in the medtech arena. All right, everybody, how we doing? Are we ready to chat? Craig, I hear you have something for us to kick us off. Yeah, random and quirky, I can promise I'll I'll say about the fascinating. (laughs) You can tell me later. Well, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, If I get one out of three, I'm doing great, frankly. So uh, I want to talk about telehealth and the changing rules that uh, may be good and may be bad. And it kind of depends on who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. So during the first few years of the coronavirus pandemic, a whole bunch of states uh, suspended the rules for telehealth so that you can reach doctors out of state who weren't licensed in your state to get medical support. Right. So that was kind of good because suddenly everyone had to do telehealth because no one could go to doctor's offices. And it turns out people liked telehealth. And that kind of went from no one using it to everyone using it and kind of liking it. Two years into the pandemic, everyone decided to kind of live with the pandemic and states started reversing those laws. So now uh, very few states allow you to access doctors who aren't registered and 
approved and licensed in your state. Right. On the one hand, you want someone to license your doctor. On the other hand, uh, what if you had developed a relationship with a doctor out of state for those last two years? What if you have a psychologist in another state and there's no psychologist near you, which is true yeah. in a lot of the country? Uh, and what if you have a rare disease and there's no doctor within a thousand miles of you who is expert on that rare disease? Uh, you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. So what do we think about this? What do we want to do about this? Well, I, I was going to ask first, how, how many personal televisits have you done now, if any? You know, are you speaking this sort of uh, from a policy level or have you had some televisits? Because I've had some. And so how have, how have yours gone? Uh, I've done a bunch of televisits. Uh, these were doctors I had a, a experience with prior. So I kind of knew them and they were local. So, okay, this particular aspect doesn't affect me, but they went perfectly well. I mean, there's no serendipity in uh, video visits. So they're not, you know, doing generic exams. I'm going for a specific problem, but I don't need to show up for that specific problem. But uh, telemedicine works perfectly fine for that. So you would give it, you would give it good grades? Yeah, I, for, yeah oh, the sorry, short John. answer is yes, John. I, it worked really well, which is pretty much a universal experience. Most people like telemedicine. Maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. We had a situation where my daughter at early in COVID had a really bad bike accident and really like tore the skin off her leg. And so her doctor said, let's do telehealth and then see what we have to do from there. And the doctor was amazed at her camera phone and how great it was. And the doctor said, well, I feel like I can see this better on your phone than I could if I were looking at it with my own eyes. So in that situation, it worked really well. She knew exactly what to do and what to prescribe. We've had good experiences and also therapy, like you were talking about psychologists, one of the bonuses of having um, telehealth therapy is that you can, you know, have therapy wherever you are. If you're somebody who moves around a lot or going to college and you can have your therapy at home or while you're at college. And then they started saying you have to be in the state where your therapist is. Yeah, John, you were asking about the sort of people's experience. Is there a particular thread you wanted to carry through now that you're hearing from a couple of people's experience? Well, I've had a couple. I live pretty remotely as it is. So it's good. To, I just want to know if it was sort of a policy context, but it sounds like, every, you know, most everybody now has had some version of this. I had one. Along these lines, uh, I was in a cancer screening program, and so the blood draw wasn't go to Virginia to the center where I was. It was run into a phlebotomist that knew what the blood was to be drawn. I actually wasn't able to find someone here in New Hampshire, but I, I made a trip to California, and I just reached out to him, and I said, hey, I'm in California, and a nurse showed up the next day at my hotel room and drew blood. So, wow. And I got a question for you, Craig, as you're sourcing it, who's driving this? Who, who's saying this is a bad thing? Like, where's the input to uh, change? I'm it? just wondering if you were sure that woman was a nurse, but okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but <laughs> I was like, hmm, that's... D different issues. So this is all based on state laws that came out of the 19th century, you know, states actually are the repository of sovereignty in American law, and they give up sovereignty to the federal government. That's kind of how we were built. Uh, and, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it made sense at the time. 
all of our licensing for doctors is state-based, you know, because it was done in the 18th century. That's that's not true. The nurses and doctors, but there's actually a group of clinicians, and I didn't know about this till very recently. The the role of a nurse practitioner is actually a federally licensed. They could be sort of a a nexus for telehealth because they actually then are are licensed on a broader level. Yeah, but if you're if you're a, a shrink or a specialist or whatever, you're still licensed by the states. Uh, this is another example of technology getting ahead of the law. Society is replete with those examples, right? I mean, that's a huge issue with social media. It's a huge issue with lots and lots of things. Five years ago, telemedicine wasn't an issue. Uh, in our conversation with uh, Evan Anderson, that was a huge problem for his company because people weren't ready for telemedicine yet. Uh, now it's become standard procedure and there's no laws that really enable it for people who need it. And there's, turns out, a lot of people who need it. So the laws have to change for federal licensing of doctors in order to enable it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think we should just really step back and think about pre-pandemic, even, you know, a lot of the, the companies that were developing all these telehealth solutions and even the idea of, you know, using an app, for example, to have to have access to a mental health counselor uh -huh. in the time frame in which you needed that help. And that being okay with not being in office and having that in-person experience with whether it's a clinical, you know, healthcare provider or a mental health provider, whatever it is. I think we should just like step back a moment and really realize what a shift this has meant. And particularly for people who are in more rural um, settings, live in more rural settings, telehealth is a game changer in terms of getting access to medical, you know, advice and just those critical sort of decision points much more quickly. So I think that's that's really fascinating. The one thing, though, in terms of this particular issue and the and the state by state, when healthcare and health insurance became this situation where when you change jobs and your new employer didn't have the same sort of choices that your last employer did, we sort of gave up, you know, 20 years ago, this sense of, well, I want to stay with my same doctor. That just, you know, that went out the window a long time ago. We're having, you know, this shortage of, of doctors is projected to get even worse, right? And particularly specialists. I think if anything, this restriction limiting to the states might exacerbate this physician shortage issue that is just going to be getting worse and worse. 
So I think it is really important to draw attention to this new restriction or regulation. I love those points. I don't understand why there's an impetus to change it. There, there are lots of reports that doctor visits are down. That's an economic driver. Uh, it's also part of their sustainable business. You know, is there a push to say, hey, we need these for our livelihood. We need these patients to come back in and to deter what what on paper and in our collective experience is why I asked about like everybody's own experience has been a pretty positive experience. So the root cause of that shift uh, would be interesting to, to uncover. That's my take. I don't know. I was in a doctor's office yesterday and doctor's visits did not seem down. It was quite the opposite. <laughs> it was very packed. You can compare it really easily to the lack of success in getting people to go back to work in an office. Mm-hmm. Good mm-hmm. point. They're, yeah. they're trying to com- to kind of make a compromise and say, all right, well, if you come back three days a week, and it turns out people hate that uh, because then it's like, okay, only some of the coworkers are around and it's really awkward and I still have to do a commute. And there's a now kind of a counter movement of everyone saying, I'm not going back to the office. If you want me to go back to the office, I'm going to work for somebody else. And the guy who runs Yelp just announced, I'm not going to have people come back to the office. We're going to shrink our offices and we're just going to all work remotely from now on. And it's the same things with doctors now that they have a lot of office space that they're really not going to need going forward. They're still going to have people come into the office, but they may not need so many exam rooms. That's an opportunity as well as a problem because maybe they can get different kinds of equipment. Maybe they can provide different kinds of services, but they're not going to have the traffic that they used to have. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how all of this continues to play out. I mean, I think we're still at the beginning of noticing the repercussions of all the boundary issues of this time. And it's just going to be interesting to see what lands and what continues to shift. But for now, we're going to have to leave it at that. But we want everyone to join us next time because you never know where the Lab Before a Slab conversation is going to go. And for more in-depth conversations with today's MedTech innovators, join us for our regular episodes of Before We Die on this very same feed. Thanks for listening. Lab Before Slab is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Joey Brenneman and Ariel Nachman. Lab Before Slab is mixed by Kyle Moore. Our Lab Before Slab panel of experts and creators of the show are Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-283-4666. Share your healthcare stories and we might just play them on the air in a future episode. For more information, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.